Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. On this particular podcast, we are going to preview the Kentucky-Mississippi State basketball game Saturday night in Starkville. It's a 6 o'clock tip on the SEC Network. It is the SEC opener for Kentucky. Of course, Kentucky is 1-6, having lost six straight games heading into the SEC opener. And we're going to talk – my guest is Jerry Tipton, the U.K. basketball beat writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. We're going to talk about the Louisville game last week. We're going to talk about Kentucky's struggles up to this point. We're going to talk about what we can expect from Mississippi State. We'll get into all of that, uh, plus a couple of stories that Jerry wrote this week that I want to talk to him about as well. First, I want to thank everybody who supports our work at the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. I'd like to uh, suggest that you take a look at our Sports Pass digital subscription, All Sports UK digital subscription. First year for $30, you get all of Jerry's coverage on UK basketball, Josh Moore on UK football, you get Ben Roberts on UK Recruiting, Jared Peck on High Schools, $30 for the first year. We appreciate everybody who's taking advantage of that. Go to Kentucky.com, hit on that subscription button, check out all of the subscription offers to Kentucky.com and the print edition of the Herald Leader. Right now, we're going to talk basketball, though, and we're going to talk about it with Jerry Tipton of the Herald Leader, and we'll get right to our conversation with Jerry. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is UK basketball beat writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com, Jerry Tipton. Uh, Happy New Year, Jerry. Uh, how, how was your Christmas, Jerry? Uh, well, we had a white Christmas, so we that did. was nice. You know, what, two, three inches of snow? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a nice uh, mood brightener. So, yeah, that was good. Yeah, everything was good. Yeah, uh, I had uh, Josh Moore on for the uh, football podcast the gator bowl preview he went back home to martin county they had seven inches in martin county he said oh wow so, i love snow i know I you say that your detroit kid, roots I thought, yes i thought snow was like magical <laughs> I, and it was a lot of fun and yeah i still like it i don't think of it as magical anymore but i still like it's a nice you know it's nice everything slows down i think it's nice yeah yeah, uh, but seven inches is that a little too nice snow? Well, that could be a that could be. Although these days, how much driving around am I doing? Well, that's true. But, in the pandemic, but it would complicate things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kentucky is one in six heading into the SEC opener on uh, Saturday against Mississippi State. Uh, I haven't talked to you since the Louisville game. What What was your impression of the Louisville game? Well, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we want Late you to be second. perfectly honest. <laughs> well, this may get me in trouble, but there was one point in the second half where I thought maybe both teams could lose. <laughs> I, I thought it was uh, difficult to watch at times. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's early season and, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it, it was sort of what I thought it would be, which was could go either way, play down to the stretch, play down the stretch and, you know, It'll be decided in the last few minutes. And, of course, the last few seconds would have been more accurate. Yeah. What did you think of uh, there was of the last shot? Some people were critical that he didn't get the ball to Mintz or that Mintz didn't – he got the ball to Mintz. He just didn't take the last shot, that he should have run a play for Mintz to take the last shot since he was the leading scorer on Saturday where Saar hasn't made a field goal in the last two games. What did you think of the last shot? 
I thought you were talking about the uh, was it Boston that took that long three right at the end that uh No, no, I'm uh, I'm talking about the one before that. Yeah, yeah Bar right. yeah, Boston's was more like yeah, heaved at the buzzer, but there. the one that could have put Kentucky ahead, yeah, they're right well, with 8 seconds to go, I think. Right. Cal said after the game as you know that the SAR was basically an option and so was Mitz. Right. And, and what people forget is that uh, and Cal's kind of, and Joel Justice mentioned this today. Uh, there are two teams on the court. It's not just Kentucky. And the other team usually is paying attention too. And so they noticed that, uh, surely they noticed that Mintz was having a good game. So they tilted their defense to try to prevent him from getting the ball. Right. And Ducky got a wide open, as you recall. Wide open, what twelve footer? Right, maybe maybe ten footer, right there, a very makeable shot. He happened to miss it. These things happen. Right, but uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, yes. Ideally, you would want the hottest guy to take the shot, but sometimes the other team does not allow that to happen. <laughs> must have double teamed him. I don't. Right. Rem- I don't remember it, but yeah, they did. The star was by himself. Yeah. He was not guarded. Yeah. Sometimes that's not good because it plays on your mind yeah. not to have a defender. But he happened to miss it. The ball nearly went in, of course, right. and came spun out. So there you go. Yeah. Now, didn't Davion said after the game that he had two defenders go with him, so he gave up the ball to Sar. That uh, two options. Yeah. So, yeah, and the ball did everything but go through the net. I mean, it rolled around like it was going to go in, and then it came out. Sounds like he got company, Jerry. Yeah, the dog's getting a little rest. The, rest. <laughs> there must, the mailman must be here. That's usually when he barks. I thought maybe the dog wanted, had, had an opinion on uh, the last shot in the little game. <laughs> uh, so, well, okay, obviously offense is the problem with this team. A uh, big reason why they're one in six, they're not shooting the ball well. They can't seem to get above, you know, 60-some-odd points. They didn't even get the 60 points against Louisville. Uh, what's your theory on why why they're not better at this point offensively? Well, the shooting is the obvious thing, yeah. and the the other and the other obvious thing is turnovers. Their their assist to turnover ratio again was in the negative against Louisville: six assists, eleven turnovers. And I was looking this up. I think only one game, well, two if you count Moorhead, only one game since Moorhead have they had a positive assist to turnover ratio, which I think uh, somewhat reflects uh, point guard play. And not totally, but it is an indication that that's an area that could use improvement. Right. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. And I mean, I think Cal talked about it. He talked about putting, you know, they're about putting the ball in Terrence Clark's hand. But then, of course, Terrence uh, was limited against Louisville because of his ankle injury. Uh, I thought Askew, I thought Askew played better against Louisville. Yeah. Uh, and I think Mintz, you know, I don't know. Is Mitz better with the ball in his hands, or is he better off the ball? Well, I think he can he can contribute in both. Yeah, I don't I don't think they have anybody like Tyler Eulis. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. what a difference. Somebody I think he had a three to one assist to turnover ratio, something ungodly. And uh, you know they don't have that guy, so they've just got to work around that. And you know, ask you and. Uh, and Mintz, I think, are capable. Clark, I'm still a little uh, 
I don't think of him as a point guard, but uh, uh, he has the willingness. It would seem, you know, he he seems to look for the for his teammates. He's more than willing to pass and uh, you know draw defense and and pass to an open teammate. His decision making must improve, but uh, you know it's early and he's a freshman. Right. Right. What what about Sar? What about Olivier? He twenty two against Notre Dame. He was the option at the end of that game too. Had a similar shot to the Louisville game, and it didn't go in. But since then, you know, foul trouble uh, is you know hampered his play. He hasn't hasn't scored a field goal in the last two games. His minutes have been limited because of foul trouble. Uh, he do, he just doesn't look real aggressive out there. Does that? Is that because of the foul trouble? He's afraid he's going to foul. Is it because he's not yet comfortable uh, playing with his teammates? What, what, what's your theory on why we haven't seen more out of Olivier? Uh, you know, I don't have some big theory. You don't. Uh, you're right. He has no baskets the last two games. He didn't even take a shot against North Carolina. Right. And uh, he was 0 for 4 against Louisville. And they go to him. It's not like, you know, sometimes you would think, well, you know, the players are getting too caught up in shooting threes, which hopefully won't be the case for Kentucky. <laughs> the way but, uh, but the thing, you, you can tell right at the beginning of games that they're, they're the focus is on getting the ball to Sar in the post. And it just hasn't resulted. Of course, again, the other team is aware of this. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and some of the opposing coaches have talked about that before the game, about how Sar was a guy that they needed to – be aware of and uh, you know you get the idea that he ideally would sort of be an anchor somebody that you know play inside out as the coaches say and he would be the guy to start that and then you would the defense would react to that and you uh, that would leave uh, open shots for other guys but uh yeah it's a puzzle dick fightel talked about it and talked about it on the telecast and, uh, yeah, right. you know, and I think he said, I, yeah, I talked to him before the game and he was really talking about SAR and, and how, uh, what a difference maker he could be. And, you know, it's not happening. Maybe these are just sort of outlier kind of games and it will turn back around. You know, like you said, 22 points against Notre Dame took 16 shots. I don't have the stats in front of me. That might be more shots than he's taken the rest of the season. Might be, yeah. No, yeah. Different guy, 22 points against Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they definitely need definitely need to get him going. Uh, and, ask- Miss- and Mississippi okay. State has the bigs to compete with him down there. I don't think. He may have a big game, but I don't think he would just have his way mm-hmm. against uh, Mississippi State. Okay, well, let, let's talk a little bit about Mississippi State since uh, brought it up. Yeah, and I asked Joel Justice today. We are we are recording this on uh, thir- late Thursday afternoon, and we had Justice a little bit earlier today uh, instead of Cal on the press conference. And I asked Joel about Mississippi State, and the first thing he said was, "That jumps out at you, Mississippi State is their size, um, and and not just you know down low. They've got their wing guys are pretty big as well. What, what do you know about Mississippi State?" Well, I watched their game against Georgia uh, last night, and you know that was one of the things the announcers talked about. It was obvious watching the game they they have size, but Georgia does not, mm-hmm. and so they were you're know, going to use that use size, and they did, 
And uh, they got two big guys, at least, uh, that jumped out at me. Abdul Adu, who's a veteran guy. He's been around. Uh, and uh, he's averaging, uh, well, he's only averaging five points and six rebounds, although six rebounds gets your attention. And the other guy, Tolu Smith, uh, he's a transfer from Western Kentucky. He's averaging nearly a double-double, 13 points and 8.6 rebounds. And so, you know, they, they have size to uh, not get run over by Kentucky. And they have good guards. Yeah. Uh, Iverson Molinar, he's a guy from uh, Panama. And uh, G.J. Stewart, they're both averaging 18 points a game or around that. Right. And, and both very good players. I mean, they shot well against Georgia and, you know, so it's a you know it, they're good. Yeah, yeah. I was I watched the game too. I was impressed with their guards. Uh, Molinar, I think, had a career high twenty four points. Uh, I think he missed their first three games uh, after testing positive for COVID. They went one and two in those games, and I think they're like five and one since then uh, with Molinar back in the lineup. Uh, they had another guy who came off the bench, uh, Davion Smith, I think. His name right. is who I thought played pretty well. They're they're going to be yeah. they're going to be a handful, especially uh, playing them in Starkville. Yeah, I mean they're a competitive team, and uh, you know Georgia was uh, undefeated, and uh, I don't you know I don't know that they played a yeah. difficult schedule, but they were undefeated off to their best start since getting to the Final Four in eighty two eighty three, so they were on a you know on the upbeat right and. And Mississippi State led most of the game, sometimes by like 20 points. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the, you know, I think it uh, it would be surprising. Of course, Cal said, it might have been after the Louisville game, they're not going to, Kentucky's not going to just roll people. No. They're, they're going to be in difficult competitive games. And uh, you would think Mississippi State would be one of those games. Yeah. Yeah, I think I looked up today. I think Ben Hallen, I think he's 0-6 against Kentucky since he came uh, to Starkville. But several of those games have been competitive games. There's only been one or two games that were blowouts. Most of them have been single-digit games. Uh, so, yeah, it, and uh, State made a lot of threes last night. I think they ended up 12 of 27 or something like that. Uh, you know, you play a team that's making threes like that, it's, they're, you know, they're hard to beat. So, uh, but uh, And I thought the announcers made an interesting point last night, too, uh, I think was that John Sunvold. I think that was on the game about how. No, when you, no it was a Debbie Antonelli. Oh, that's right. It was Debbie Antonelli. Yeah, our friend Debbie Antonelli. Yeah, right. um, and I think uh, I think Debbie made the point uh, that if you look at Mississippi State, um, uh, if you look at Mississippi State in the past, when they lost a lot, they or who they lost from last year. Uh, they lost uh, Reggie Perry and some other guys, the Witherspoon and some other guys. You think they were bit not be as good, but you might like this team, this Mississippi State team better. I don't know, but uh, uh, but they, uh, I, I was impressed with them uh, last night. Uh, just a little off the subject, but did you watch Tennessee and Missouri after that? I did. Yeah, I watched, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched the end of the second half when Tennessee was clearly in control. Tennessee looked really good. I thought. What do you think? Yeah. Well, the same sort of thing only maybe more so of having a good size and having good guards and Tennessee's got veteran players. They've been around the block play. Well, of course they shot well, that makes such a difference uh, to your opinion about any team when they shoot well, 
your opinion rises. But yeah, I mean, they're the favorite to win the league. I asked uh, Rick Barnes about being the favorite. And of course, he didn't embrace that. And I don't blame him, you know, to see the SEC hasn't even started yet. Right. But I think that, you know, they were the media pick to win the league. And you could see why in that game. Missouri's the only other ranked team, and uh, Tennessee handled them. Yeah, they, they jumped on them clearly, early. Yeah, they were clearly superior. Yeah, I think they were up like, It didn't look like any fluke. They weren't, no. you know, making shots you would think they could make. Yeah, I thought they were good. Yeah, I think they jumped on them 24 to 8 early on. And I think they, I thought they were good defensively. Of course, Ponds blocks a lot of shots. He's a good defensive right. player. But I thought overall they were looked really good defensively and they got they got a lot of guys they got a lot of options those two freshmen that Barnes brings in who uh, they kept talking about were bringing five-star guys in off the bench and that just shows you know they have veterans that those guys you know he can Rick feels comfortable bringing those guys off the bench when they might be two of the more talented players but they don't have the experience as the other guys so yeah, well, we'll have to worry about Tennessee down the road. I want to ask you about a couple of things that you wrote about this week. Uh, one, you wrote about Kentucky being the unluckiest team in the country. Uh, where you talked to uh, our good friend Ken Pomeroy, the the man behind Ken Palm. Just talk a little bit about that story. Well, it was interesting. A, a reader sent me an email, and uh, I, you know, I look at Ken Palm and the ratings and so on, but I just for whatever reason, didn't notice that luck was one of the uh, categories, statistical categories. And he ranked Kentucky 357th, the, you know, had the least luck of any team in division one. And my immediate thought was, how do you measure that? You know, that's such a nebulous thing. Luck. What, how do you put numbers to that? How do you rank one team? And so I called him up. And, uh, of course, he's a nice guy. And one, one of the things I like about him is you can kid around with him. He doesn't take himself that seriously. And uh, so I asked him about it, luck. And where did you get that? And he said a, a guy, an analytical guy that uh, he admired. Uh, who I think he was doing it for the NBA. Uh, Dean Oliver, I think he said the name was. Anyway, yeah, he said that the yeah, Dean. Uh, well, not to interrupt. Yeah, Dean Oliver. He was one of the first ones, especially in the NBA, who did a lot of analytics work. I have actually a book by him, but a book of his uh, called I think it's called Basketball on Paper, which is a good book. But it goes into the analytics. And I think uh, there's a guy who's with the Thunder, or used to be with the Thunder, who's kind of like a protege of Dean Oliver, uh, who I think is also I think is a guy that you mentioned in the story, or or, allude, or Pomeroy Ken alluded to in the story. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say he. Uh, the interesting thing was that he said uh, he wanted to maybe stop using luck as a as a statistical category because it uh, it uh, makes enemies. So, you know, people don't like it, and uh, probably the people that are the at the bottom of the luck list maybe they don't like being at the bottom of any list. But the interesting thing was was that the people at the top of the list they never thought it. I never thought about that. They don't like it because they don't want to be considered lucky. They want to be considered good. So, uh, yeah, so it was all very interesting. Navy was the the, uh, most, uh, the luckiest team. Louisville was like sixth luckiest. And it's only based on basically close games. And, you know, if you lose a bunch of close games, then you're unlucky. If you win a bunch of close games, you're lucky. That's the way he explained it to me. And, uh, you know, there you go. 
Yeah, when you well, when I was reading the story, I thought about something that you said on the podcast. You said on the podcast, uh, it's not like Kentucky's being blown out in these games. Although, you know, a couple of games, especially the Georgia Tech game, they you know they've they they, <laughs> they were playing so bad, you thought they were getting blown out. But uh, you know, it, it's been close games. Uh, the Kansas right. game was was what a three point game. Notre Dame they lost by one point. Louisville they lost by three points. Even the other games. Uh, you know, North Carolina was a close game till down the stretch. Uh, for the most part, it was a close game. Uh, it's not like they're getting blown out, but they just can't seem to get over the hump and win those games. And I guess part of that goes back to not being able to make shots. I don't know whether how much luck is involved in that, but uh, I thought about what you said earlier. You know, they they haven't been able to win close games. Well, he, you know, you talk about missed shots, and uh, Ken Pomeroy said that, uh, you know, of course, Saar has missed two shots right right at the end, almost identical shots against Notre Dame and Louisville. And uh, he, Ken Pomeroy, considers that luck, really? uh, a reflection of luck. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, and it just, you know, even the best player is going to miss some shots. And, like, uh, this is off the subject a little bit, uh, Jason Tatum, uh, made a bank to three for the Celtics to win a game right at the end, I think against the Bucks. Right. And, you know, I don't know if he, you know, intended to bank it, but he did. Right. And I believe Louisville banked a shot, not a three, but a shot from straight away. They did. Uh, nobody would do that yeah. intentionally. And I remember that makes me think one time a Kentucky fan was uh, complaining. This was on their call-in show, the coach's call-in show years ago the UK was struggling with their free throw shooting. And this guy, I think it was a guy said uh, his advice would be to have the players bank in the free throws. Well, I mean, if you were looking for a system that would almost guarantee missing, that that would be it. And this fan knew just enough to be dangerous because banking from an angle. Yes, that would be a, a good way to shoot a shot from an angle, but not straight away. No, no. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because the other day I wrote um, when I was writing something, I can't even remember exactly what I was writing, but I was remembering that Danny Crum said back in the days when I used to cover Louisville, uh, Danny said that John Wooden did a did a survey or did a research project one time when he was coaching about what's the single greatest factor in uh of team winning a game and it was it came down to shooting percentage more that the, the highest percentage of winning teams were teams that shot a better uh, had a better shooting percentage than their opponent and i was trying to find this online to see if i could find a reference to it which i could couldn't find but i did find a story where it was talking about wooden and the bank shot how he was such a proponent of the bank shot and that is one of the uh things that i rail about uh they don't use – I think of those great UCLA teams, and now I'm dating myself. You know, uh, Dave Myers or Walton or whoever it was, it just seemed like they you know, they used the bank shot all the time. You just don't see that anymore, even, even at an angle, I guess is what I'm talking about. Yeah, you only see it mostly, almost exclusively, down around the post area, yeah. low post area. They'll bank those in. But I re- it makes me think, when I think of bank shots, I think of Sam Jones. I'm showing my age here. <laughs> But it would, uh, you know, out to the mid-range or maybe a little further back in the day, that was sort of his signature shot. And uh, I think you don't need as much touch mm-hmm. to back it in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's, 
very long. Of course, the the mid range shot some coaches frown on. Right. <laughs> you know, so that maybe is a contributing factor too to seeing it left. Yeah. And when they miss, when they miss some of those one footers, as Calipari calls them, I think you know why didn't they bank it? They should have tried to use the use the board, use the glass. But uh, yeah, we're we're old, we're old school, I guess. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, that you wrote about this week or was in the news this week was the Cameron Fletcher deal. Uh, Fletcher after the North Carolina game, Cal had him step away from the program. Uh, he was gone for a while. Now he's back. Uh, what do you make of the whole situation? I, 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 and uh, Justice was asked about it today, right? Did you? I can't yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I asked him just for an update. Yeah. And uh, he didn't really, uh, you know, he just, he, he didn't really say. No, he, he didn't, didn't really shed, shed much finish. light on the subject. Um, but what, what what did you make of that situation? And do you think that all is forgiven now and Cam will be back playing or what? Well, I think it all depends on Cam. Yeah. That would be my guess. If he accepts, I mean, it sounds like Cal gave him an ultimatum. Go along with the program. Don't complain about playing time. You know, be a good teammate. And, you know, I, of course, Cal said he made no promises about playing time. In fact, he told him, what, what are you going to do if you don't play? And so I, I took that to mean, you know, just preparing the ground for not complaining about playing time, accepting whatever happens, not an edict that you're not going to play. And uh, so I would, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's hard to say. I would think if they need him, foul trouble or whatever, um, you know, maybe they'll put him in just uh, on, you know, like maybe the guys aren't shooting well. They put him in. If he hits a couple of shots, he might stay in there, uh, you know, and just ride that horse. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But I, my guess would be, sounds like from what Cal said, that uh, Cameron uh, Fletcher accepted the terms. You know, he kind of just saw the error in his ways and uh, and will be a good soldier. So that we'll see. But that would that was the way it's been uh, explained to us. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that happened this week is that they they uh, scrimmaged Transylvania uh what there, which I think kind of raised some eyebrows of some people. I don't know why necessarily. I mean, it seems to me that Cal has a good relationship with Brian Lane. I think Brian, you know, was happy to, I'm sure was happy to do it, uh, to get his guys some experience playing against a, you know, a team like Kentucky players like Kentucky. Uh, what, what did you make of that? Well, you know, when Cal was asked, uh, I think it was after the Louisville game, what does the, t- the Kentucky team need more practice or more games? Well, he immediately said games. He, he didn't even let the person finish the question. He immediately started right. saying games, games. And I think what he meant was they needed, well, they, you know, the, they're freshmen for the most part. And so, you know, get experience. And I think he meant games where th- they knew they were going to play well, or at least, you know, uh, there wasn't going to be a lot of anxiety with it. You know, the kind of games that uh, are normally part of the early season or exhibition games. And so I think, uh, I know uh, Bellerman was interested, but that didn't come to pass. I wonder if Bellerman's a little too good, (laughs) but, uh, but Transy was a division three team that I think they knew that, you know, there wouldn't be anxiety about winning and maybe build some confidence, you know, and so, yeah, that's the way I took it. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, uh, we got the Mississippi State game on Saturday, uh, six o'clock 
6 o'clock start. It's the SEC opener. It's kind of a chance for them to turn the page, start anew. I think you you asked about that today, didn't you, about uh, wiping the Fresh. slate clean? Joel didn't really. Just psychologically, you yeah, know he, what I mean? He didn't I really... mean, they're getting beat down with one and six, yeah. one and six, six-game losing streak. And, you know, first time in almost 100 years yeah. for a one and six. So, uh, you know, it would be a way to set that aside. You know, start conference play. And I think Isaiah Jackson said that today that, uh, you know, the, these he basically said these games count, although the other ones do, too. Right. But, OK, you know, we're zero and zero and they are zero and zero right. in the league. Right. So, OK, you know, I think it's psychological would be my guess. And I would think that, um, you know, if you despite being one in six and despite not playing well, and it's going to be tough, you know, obviously I think the SEC is pretty competitive uh, and it's hard to know on some of these teams because they haven't played many games because of COVID, but for them to make the NCAA tournament, when you're talking about one in six in your non-conference and you've still got Texas to go in the SEC right. big 12 challenge and Texas is a top 10 team, you get them in the end of January. I mean, they're going to have to make hay in conference play. But if they went like, uh, you know, well, I was on Bob Valvano's show yesterday and he, in Louisville and he said if they go 14-4 and four in the conference, let's say, just to, for sake of discussion, will they make the NCAA tournament? And I said, well, depends. You know, some of that depends on if they go 14-4 and four and make a run in the SEC tournament. I think they would. But I think if they go 14-4 and four in the league and they're 15-10 and 10 overall and, and the committee says, okay, these, they were a young team who didn't have exhibitions, didn't have a lot of, you know, didn't have the guarantee games you normally get early on. It just took them a while to gel. But but if you go 14-4 and four in the SEC, you're one of the best teams in the country. I think they would get him. What, what do you think? Well, I think the, there's an X factor in all of this, which, of course, is the uh, – coronavirus well exactly and, you know, like like in the bowl games you got teams that had losing records that are in bowl games right i don't want to mention any names <laughs> but uh uh so i think uh i think that's plausible this year i mean everything is so up in the air right. and fluid and different schedules and you know everything is so different that i think you know i think the committee which mitch barnhart is the chairperson is uh, boy, they've got quite a task. Oh. I mean, uh, and I remember one of the teleconferences. I think it was with the NCAA, and I think we've talked about this. They said that the analytics, and that don't. I hope Ken Pomeroy's not listening. Yeah. Are are not going to be as reliable this year because you know everything is so different, right. and that and the committee members might just have to you know be stuck with watching teams. <laughs> Which I, I think we talked about that yeah, I think that's the eye test is not you know has value to it. Right. <laughs> but right. anyway, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I can see Kentucky. You know, what about you know? I could see them being around five hundred, a game or two above, and being good enough. Yeah. That being good enough, depending on who they beat. You right. know, what if they beat Tennessee? Right. Right. You know. No. They play them twice. Right. You know. No, I mean, there's yeah. some opportunities for some good wins. Tennessee, I think yeah. I watched LSU the other night. They look pretty good as well. Cam right. Thomas can play the freshman. Right. So right. I mean, there's some good teams in the league. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's you know, it's good to be in a Power Five conference. Yes. Yeah. And it's I think it's good to be Kentucky. Yeah. I think you know 
that if it's if it's a debate, it's good to be Kentucky. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see uh, with the SEC opener for Kentucky on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Be sure and follow Jerry's coverage leading up to the game. Follow him on uh, Twitter at Jerry Tipton. Uh, follow his coverage online on Kentucky.com. And in the print edition of the Herald-Leader, Jerry, as always, we appreciate Happy New Year, and we appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, John. Happy New Year. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks, as always, to Jerry Tipton. Be sure and check Jerry out at on Twitter, Jerry Tipton, at Jerry Tipton, and check out all of his coverage uh, on Kentucky.com. And in the print edition of the Arrow Leader, we'll have plenty of coverage leading up to the game on Saturday, during the game, and after the game. Of course, as Kentucky starts SEC play, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Uh, you can send me an email, jclay at herald-leader.com. We appreciate all the feedback we get uh, on our coverage and on these podcasts. We appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Uh, thanks to everyone who's left a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It help gets the, helps get the word out. Uh, check out our Gator Bowl preview podcast. I talk with Josh Moore. Uh, our UK football beat writer, and also talk to uh, Jonas Pope of the Raleigh News and Observer, who covers NC State. Check that out as well. The the football game is noon on Saturday. Uh, Kentucky and North Carolina State in the Gator Bowl. The basketball game is at six, so it's a it's a full day uh, for for Kentucky athletics on Saturday. So check out all of our coverage of both the uh, football and the basketball game. Thanks again for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, like I said, I appreciate everybody supporting the podcast in 2020 and i wish everybody a happy new year and we'll be talking to you again soon